All right, everybody. Morning. 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 My name's Jeremy, uh, the assistant pastor here, and um, I still got that little, like, nasal thing, so I'm sorry if I'm annoying to listen to. I'm annoying to listen to in general, but be extra annoying to listen to with this sort of nasal thing going on, uh, so forgive me for that. But what we're going to do today is jump straight into reading the passage uh, so that we can make a beeline uh, for these kneelers right here. And But I am not sure who's going to read the passage. Allison Bussell is going to read the passage, and uh, I'll step out of the way. This is Acts 3, 1 to 21. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk. And entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people. Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you And you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Allison. So anytime there's one of these miracles and signs that is happening in 
in the scriptures, we have to ask ourselves, why is this happening? Because the, the miracle or the sign is never the point. In fact, like to think about that word sign, I'm thankful that the scriptures use that as the thing that they're talking about when they're talking about things like people standing up, blind guys seeing who've never been able to see, uh, people being raised from the dead, speaking in tongues a couple of weeks ago, all of these miraculous things that you could get very, very focused on them as being the thing in and of themselves. But it's like, so we moved here in February, and when we moved here, I'm driving this giant 26-foot Penske truck up those giant hills, you know, through the junction there in Chattanooga where there's a billion semi-trucks all happening at the same time, and it's like midnight, and there's still a billion semi-trucks. I'm not sure how that happens, but there is a never-ceasing uh, amount of traffic right there. And as we drive in, there's that sign, and it says, Welcome to Tennessee. What we did not do is as we saw that sign, we said, okay, kids, we made it. And we pull off on the side of the road and we begin to put our beds out under the shadow of the sign as the semi-trucks are honking, you know, because we're stopping the traffic even more so than it already is. And we didn't arrive when we saw the Welcome to Tennessee sign because the Welcome to Tennessee sign is not the point. It's not Tennessee. What's Tennessee? Everything behind it. So in the very same way, in Acts 2 that we read a couple of weeks ago that said many signs and wonders were happening among these people. This is one of those signs and wonders. Now, is the sign and wonder the point? No. Then the question is, what is the sign pointing to? And that's what we're really going to spend our time focusing on this morning, and that's really what we're going to spend our time and why we went all the way through verse 21 to connect, because sometimes, you know, like when Jesus would heal somebody, he wouldn't always give a full description of why he just did that thing, but with Peter, we literally have him pointing to the guy. It says, as the man clung to him, Peter preached a sermon, and he says, you see this that's happening right here? Let me tell you why this is happening. And so that's why we read the entire second half of that passage in, in Acts 3 together. Here's the point. This man's paralysis, he became a walking analogy of what every one of us face as we are born into this world. We are born into this world, in a sense, with a soul paralysis. An inability in and of ourselves to walk and talk and breathe and move and live in the way that God has designed us to live. And yet, as we extend our hand to all kinds of things that we hope will fill us up, Jesus comes to us and with a soft, outstretched hand invites us to stand. And so what we're going to walk through this morning is just that, that movement of the gospel as it's represented here by the sign and by Peter as he reflects on what this sign was pointing to. So first, man's paralysis. Second, God's healing. Third, times of refreshing. And then we're going to come to the table together. So picture this scene. 
there's, it's very similar to, if you remember back in Luke 5, there's that scene when the, these friends of this paralyzed guy are bringing him in and Jesus is in this house and they can't figure out a way to get him in the house because there's too many people there. And so they decide to go on the roof and peel the, you know, the thatch off of the roof and lower him down. That's very reminiscent. There's echoes of that that's happened back in Luke 5 here in Acts 3. And again, some of those same guys who watched Jesus do that are now doing that very thing here. Because the point is, it's not Peter and it's not John that have the power. All the way back, they continue to point, it's Jesus, it's Jesus, it's Jesus. It's through me, but Jesus is the reason that this is happening. This time, though, a man's friends are not bringing him to a roof, they're bringing him to a gate. This gate is called the beautiful gate, and it was one of the many gates that were entrances into the temple, the dwelling place of God where the worship of God happened. It's the place where many Jews would, pious Jews, who almsgiving, meaning giving mercifully uh, to those in need, was just something that people did. And so, of course, this guy would position himself in the same way that uh, those, you know, the folks who may be down on 12 South or even down at the intersection of Nolensville and Old Hickory, they position themselves in the places where there's lots of traffic because that might be the place where they would have the best luck. And so he positions himself here and his friends lower him to the ground and there he sat. This says that he was lame from birth. So it's possible that this guy has been in this same state, maybe in that same place, for years and years and years as his way of survival. It, get this, it's even possible that Jesus could have walked past this guy before as he went in and out of the temple gate. And yet, in, this, in the way that Jesus does, he picks certain moments and certain times in certain individuals' lives to show up. And we can't force those things. We can't force it in our own life. We can just be thankful when it happens. And so here is a moment where Jesus shows up in power. But this is not a beautiful situation here happening at this beautiful gate. And you can imagine the scene. This guy is stuck, unable, and especially in this culture, was viewed as less than, was viewed as, you know, potentially the question of who sinned. Like this guy's sin or maybe his parents, or somebody is the reason that he is how he is. He doesn't deserve to go into the temple. He's got to sit outside. That may also be reminiscent to something that you've heard Jesus say before. In John 9, uh, Jesus gets this direct question. Jesus, was it this man who sinned? And this is another one who's since birth was blind. Is it this guy who sinned, or was it his parents that sinned that he's blind? And Jesus is like, you guys don't get it, do you? It has nothing to do with that. And in the very same way here, it has nothing to do with that. What is Jesus' response? Neither. It's not this man. It's not his fault. It's not his parents' fault. What does he say is the reason? He says, is it, uh, it is that the works of God might be displayed. Why has this guy been paralyzed since birth? Because God's good. And he wants to do something amazing. 
for other people to see? Why is it that the things in your life that aren't the way you like them to be, the way they are? Because God is good. And he is using every one of those things in your life in such a way to bring himself glory. And in some way, the more that we live with Jesus, the more that that reality begins to settle in our hearts. Now, verses 12 through 14, uh, he says, why do you stare at us as though by our own power, our own piety, we've made him walk? Peter's saying, I'm not the point. I know I just did something amazing and totally wacky and everybody's staring at me now. I'm going to now tell you this has nothing to do with me. But here's why. You want to know what the wonders are that I want to point you to? First, there's bad news. Before, there's good news. He said, but you denied the Holy One. I love this play on words, as painful as it is. You killed the author of life. I just thought... God was doing something amazing with this one guy. And then all of a sudden you're calling us out? Like, how did that happen? And so, but Peter is doing exactly what God wants him to because the first wonder of the gospel is the bad news to you. Every one of us have denied the author of life. Every one of us have said, I would so much rather go my way and have my own life than have you run it for me. How dare you put this struggle in my life? How dare you put this malady in my life? How dare you put this sin in my life that I can't rip out of myself? How dare you? I want my life to look like this. I want to walk and leap and do these amazing things, and here I am paralyzed and stuck. How dare you? And we can get stuck there. That's what we're born into. That's the condition that we're born into, and that's what Peter wants to show all these people who are now standing with their mouths open, wondering at what's just happened. Because the, the crazy thing is, as Peter points to that guy who used to be unable to stand and now stands, he says, you, know, you guys want to know what the crazy thing is? That's actually what you look like inside. Because think about the Jews who were walking in and out of those beautiful gates. Many of them thought that it was, it was their own ease of life, the beautiful temple that they had, this beautiful gate that they got to walk through, the money in their pockets, their own outward morality, their political correctness, their ability to put on a good face and chug through life easily. And many of us think the same thing. That's, that is God's favor. When life goes easy and I can stream right through, that means God's smiling on me. Not all those hard times. Not all those people. No. And then Peter points to that guy and says, you guys realize you're actually in worse shape than he is. You're actually the ones who are paralyzed, but you can't even see it or know it. I was reading in in Revelation of all places this past week. And uh, in Revelation 3... There's a, in Revelation 2 and 3, Jesus is calling out a bunch of sin that he sees in these early churches. And this is what he says. I, can't, I believe it's to the church of Laodicea. He says, hey guys, this is Revelation 3, 17. For you say, I think we've got this on the slides. For you say, I am rich. 
I have prospered. I need nothing. My life is easy. God is smiling on me. Not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Listen, the ease of life in Creve Hall can be dangerous. The ease of life that our money can cobble together to make things just work well for us can be dangerous to our hearts. It can begin to put us in the driver's seat of our life to think that we have the kind of control and the kind of ability. We say the right things, we look good, we drive nice cars, we have nice houses, we come in and out of our days without much of a, of a problem or difficulty, and those things can be very intoxicating. And it can also be very misleading. Because we can skate over the surface of our lives and miss what's actually going on inside. Because if we stop and pause and ponder about what's actually going on inside, we may find stuff we don't like. We may find stuff that we would rather just continue to glaze over the surface of or keep ourselves busy so we don't have to think about it. Just keep pressing it down. We may cope with alcohol, food, sex, drink, whatever it is. And in order to just, oh, I just don't want to think about it. And yet those are the very places where Jesus wants to show up. Those are the very places where Jesus has his open hand asking you to stand. And so Peter points back to those things, and he continue, he's saying, you guys, the paralysis is in here. It's not out there. The real issue is in here, not so much with this guy, but with you. When we aren't who we portray ourselves to be, there begins to be a discrepancy that we live with, that we act one way on the outside while all the while knowing inside, ooh, I am not who I'm putting myself on to be. I lived this way for many, many years and continue to struggle with it today. And as that happens, as you can imagine, there's this guy on the ground, to go back to the, to the healing for a minute, there's this guy on the ground and he's got his hand outstretched He's asking for money, alms for the poor, alms for the poor, like Robin Hood, the cartoon version with the, what was it, the, the fox. Um, and, and he's got his hand out, but it's really interesting. Look at verse four about what Peter says. It says, first, Peter averted his gaze and he looked right at him. And then what does Peter tell him? Peter says, look at me. Where does that, what does that mean? Where was he looking? What do you think? Where was he looking before? Crowd participation, what you got? Yes, thank you. From the front row, good work. He was looking down. He was downcast. Oh, like when, when we realize that there's this gap between our outward self and our inner life, we tend to, oh, we feel ashamed by that. And we are pulled down and we're pulled in and we're pulled close and tight. We can't let other people know that. We can't let other people see who we actually are. It's like, uh, you remember, this is now the third time I've said this, but um, all my movie references are 15 years old. So in Forrest Gump, come on, Forrest Gump fans? Oh, oh, it's so good. It's the best three-hour movie ever. Um, 
except for Braveheart, maybe. And there's, you remember Lieutenant Dan, right? The guy with no legs. Uh, so Lieutenant Dan is this like hardened sergeant in the army. He's Forrest Gump's commanding officer, and he's got everything together. He's got the suit. He's got the crew cut. He's got every cutting word. He knows exactly what to say and where to tell those recruits to go at every point until he's caught in an ambush in Vietnam and he gets his legs blown off. Actually, they have to be amputated from the injuries. And then he gets, he totally changes his tune after that. And the next scene that you see him, he shows up and he's got long hair and he's in this tattered wheelchair and his clothes are all gross. And he's sitting, he's sitting on a, a dock next to this grungy old shrimp boat. And he goes, you know, Forrest walks up to him and he says, what are you doing, Lieutenant Dan? And Lieutenant Dan goes, well, I thought I'd try out my sea legs. You remember what Forrest says? You ain't got no legs, Lieutenant Dan. In that moment, what he realized about himself was just the, out, the inward self began to come out. When something happened in his life that blew up his ability to just posture, his real self came out. And this tattered, angry, bitter, sullen man he gets caught in this rainstorm, and he's lashed to the mast at the very top of the ship, getting toppled back and forth in Biolabattery, Louisiana, and he's yelling at God, me and you, God, me and you. He's so angry. <coughs> I shouldn't yell anymore. And in the very same way, many of us, when something happens in our life where our preconceptions and our ability to just put on a happy face when that gets stripped away, the real us comes out. Shame comes out. And it can come out as lashing out at other people or it can come out as trying to cover and hide ourselves. But when Peter directs his gaze at him, the beauty of the gospel, the beauty of the work of Jesus inside Peter, now acting on this man, is he says, look up, look at me. You don't have to be ashamed. You don't have to hide. You don't have to be bitter anymore. You don't have to be angry. You don't have to pretend. Just look at me. Dane Ortland uh, wrote a book called Gentle and Lowly. And it, it focuses on the, the last few verses of Matthew 11 of what it means that Jesus is gentle and lowly in heart. And so in the very same way in Matthew 9, when Jesus looks at the crowds and the gospel writer says that he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. He looked, he saw their need, and he was drawn into it. Reflecting on that, Dane Ortland says this. I believe we have this on the board. That God is rich in mercy means that your, deepest, that your regions of deepest shame and regret are not hotels through which divine mercy passes, but homes in which divine mercy abides. It means the things about you that make you cringe the most make him hug the hardest. It means his mercy is not calculating and cautious like ours. It is unrestrained, flood-like, sweeping, magnanimous. It means our haunting shame is not a problem for him, but the very thing that he loves to work with most. 
It means our sins do not cause his love to take a hit. Our sins cause his love to surge forward all the more. It means that on the day that we stand before him, quietly, unhurriedly, we will weep with relief, shocked at how impoverished a view of his mercy-rich heart we have. That's our Jesus. That's who he is. And this analogy of this lame man walking is not meant to mainly show the magic trick of Peter. It is meant to show the gracious love of our King Jesus, who is drawn towards our need, who is drawn towards our places where we want to hide the most. And he is drawn to hug us all the tighter in those. And as he does, verse 18 begins to jump off the page. But what God foretold by the mouth of the prophets, that his Christ should suffer, he thus fulfilled. You may remember the words of Isaiah, that he was pierced for our transgressions, that he was wounded for our iniquities, that by his wounds we are healed. Jesus, in the paralysis of this man, pointing to our paralysis, the work of Jesus coming into this world is that he would take on that paralysis on himself. That he would experience sitting outside the beautiful gate, outside of the beautiful presence of God. That on the cross, he would be paralyzed under the weight of our sin and our shame. That every bit of weight that you feel for everything that you have done wrong, Christian, you no longer have to bear that. Because it has been born for you. By his wounds, by his paralysis, you are able to walk. By his wounds, you're healed. So verse 19. This is, this is the funky thing about how Jesus rolls, y'all. Because you just think that the next verse is going to be like, so go get them. Live your best life now. But that's not what he does. He says, you got to sit with this a little bit longer because you can't only, you will not understand the, how good, the degree of the goodness of this news unless you understand the degree of the severity to which you need it. Verse 19, repent, therefore, turn back that your sins may be blotted out. Then, that times of refreshing may come. That's the call to us today. So what we're going to do to prepare ourselves to come to the table and to be present with the Lord as he loves us through this meal, we're going to take just a minute. I want you to take about a minute. Christopher's going to play in the background. And I just want you to sit with that verse. Verse 19. Repent, therefore, and turn back. What are those places right now where you feel paralyzed by sin? What are those places where you feel like, I can't rip this part out of me and I so wish that I could? Or maybe I'm kind of happy in my paralysis and I kind of don't want the Lord to mess with me. I'm kind of happy with how my life's going right now. I think I'm walking okay. But where might Jesus have his hand open to you 
calling to you to not just drag yourself through this life by your own self-will, but to walk and to leap. But before you leap, you got to get low. So let's take a moment and consider that question. Where do you feel paralyzed by sin? Where do you feel stuck? Where do you feel angry? Where do you feel ashamed? And then we're going to recite a corporate confession together in just a minute. Wherever you are today, whether you're still not even sure who Jesus is or if this is even real, or if you've been following him for 20 years, the call is the same. Repent and fall into the loving arms of Jesus. And so let's collectively do that as we read this together out loud. Father in heaven, we thank you for the freedom you have given us through the life, death, and resurrection of your son, and for the redemption story you are writing in our lives. But we confess this morning we often settle for a lesser story, believing the lies that we are inadequate to do your work, doubting that we are beloved, and not living in the confidence of your spirit, allowing our past to determine our future hope. And when we do, instead of leaning into your delight in us, we avoid you in shame and guilt. Instead of receiving your favor as a gift, 
we try to earn it with our efforts. Instead of accepting your freedom, we prefer our chains. Instead of pursuing your purposes, we cling to our short-sighted agendas. Jesus, in mercy, as we come to your table this morning, forgive us, embrace us, cleanse us, heal us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I hope you hear that you're in good company. The, the collective wording of that means that we are all in, on equal footing. Whatever you bring in this morning, we are all equal at the foot of the cross. So be refreshed now as we, as we come to the Lord's Supper. Verse 8 begins to leap off the page. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk, and he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. Notice this. Notice where his walking and his leaping took him. It didn't first take him back out into the streets. Where did it take him? It took him into the temple. It took him into the presence of the Lord. The first place we go when we experience the healing of the Lord is not that we have to go do something for him. It is into his presence deeper still. And so what we're about to do is experience the presence of the Lord. That may be a question that you have had. How can I experience the presence of the Lord? There is no greater way than what is about to happen with this bread and this cup. It's very ordinary, but very supernatural at the same time. So let's close with this as we come to the table. John Calvin says, let us carefully observe then when we wish to use the sacraments as God has ordained, that they should be like ladders for raising us on high. For we are heavy and cumbersome, held down by earthly things. Thus, because we are unable to fly high enough to draw near to God, he has ordained the sacraments for us like ladders. If a man wishes to leap on high, he will break his neck in the attempt. But if he has steps, he is able to proceed with confidence. So also, if we are to reach our God, Let's use the means with which he has instituted for us, since he knows what is suitable for us. And so let's lean in to those means that he has given us. Very ordinary, but very extraordinary. And so this morning for all who have made that statement, who have come to that place and said, I realize I am the paralyzed guy outside the gate. I realize that in and of myself, I cannot force my life to be what I want it to be, and I cannot force myself into the loving presence of God. I need someone to do that for me, and that person is Jesus, the God-man who lived, who died, who rose again, and is sitting at the right hand of the Father, interceding for me even now. If that is true of you this morning, and if you are connected, this is a, a table the, the image here is that if we could clear out all the chairs and we could have this one long patio table down the middle of this thing and we could all sit around it. That's the idea behind the Lord's Supper because it is as much about being reconciled to God as it is about being reconciled to one another. So the question to you is, are you reconciled in your relationships this morning? That does not mean that your relationships have to be perfect. But is there a posture of forgiveness and love towards even the hardest person to love in your life? If not, Jesus says, go leave your gift there. 
Don't come to the altar yet. Go make that right. Go let the mercy of Jesus begin to overwhelm you in such a way that you would extend mercy to that person. And then come and taste and see that he's good. And so if those things are true of you this morning, then the call is lean in. Lean into his love. Let him lavish you with his life and with his death as you taste and see that it's real and true and for you. So what we're going to do is, if you would, as you come, come down the middle aisles and then filter back around the outside so we can keep uh, this moving. We'll have the the three kneelers up here. Uh, Feel free to come forward and pause for a moment if you'd like to, to pray personally. If you would have any prayer needs that you would like to voice to someone. Uh, my friend Mitch is going to be back here. You can cross your arms and, uh, and he will come and pray for you. And then when you're ready, look up uh, and give me or Talitha uh, an eye and then we will come and, and serve you. And I pray that this would be a time that could be reflective for you uh, to consider and continue to soften yourself as the Holy Spirit invites you to crumple into his arms. So on the night in which he was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body broken for you. As often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. And after supper, he took the cup. He said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. There is a new way open for anyone to be rightly related to me by my blood. As often as you do this, Do it in remembrance of me. Let's pray. So, Father, we pray that we would do something, and I'm praying this for myself too, that you would do something that we cannot do ourselves. Would you help us to walk from our soul paralysis? Would some of the places where we have felt most locked up in our lives, where we have felt most resistant to your work, where we have felt most ashamed, where we have felt most angry at you that our life is this way, would you work in those places this morning? Would you assure us of your love while we are going through whatever it is that we might be going through? And unlock our hearts in such a way that we can, with a holy imagination, see you high and lifted up, lavishing us with your grace and your love from on high where we taste and see that you're good by the power of your spirit. We pray in Christ.